Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and producer of Krenitsya, The Well, a podcast series about interesting and notable Ukrainians from around the globe. Today is Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. And this episode is produced for The Ukrainian Weekly, a newspaper published in the U.S. since 1933, covering the global Ukrainian community. Today on this episode, we're going to be focusing in on housing that's going to be created for displaced persons in Ukraine. And I have with me today two gentlemen who are both going to be involved in this with their own organizations or companies. First one is Slava Balbek with the Balbek Bureau, which is an architecture and interior design studio. He is a founder and CEO there. And we also have John Shmorhun, who is with a nonprofit organization called Move Ukraine. He is the chairman. Welcome, Slava and John. How are you? Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Greetings from Kiev. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today on Krenitsya. So before we get started on the topic, I'd like to get some background on both of you, educational background, professional background, and so forth. So Slava, maybe we can start off with you. Yes, uh, so thank you. I'm an architect from Kyiv. Actually, I'm born here. I was studying in uh, international uh, in the University of Construction and uh, Architecture in Kyiv as well. Since my first day out of the university, I just started up with my colleague, uh, the Bureau. So that's how I'm running it for 15 years, I guess, for now. Mostly we are working in, in interior design category, but as, as we know now, we do so many architecture here and we do a little bit out of the worldwide. So our, how can I say, uh, it's not the longest, but it's farthest, farthest project. It's the uh, art installation in Antarctica. So uh, we just nearly delivered there on the icebreaker ship. So it's waiting for us to be installed by us actually there. So actually I should go there in March, but actually I missed this because of the war in Ukraine. Thank you. John, how about you? Well, I'm uh, an American uh, graduate of the Naval Academy, was a helicopter pilot for many years. Joined DuPont after receiving my MBA in Geneva at uh, what is now called IMD, uh, International, uh, well, it's called the International Management Institute. And joined DuPont, where I worked mostly in agriculture for 20 years. I ran DuPont in Russia. I ran DuPont in Ukraine. I was actually the director for DuPont for the, for the former Soviet Union countries was brought up on a farm in Maryland. and That kind of gave me the background to be in agriculture after the Navy. So after my career with DuPont and joined a venture capital company where we uh, bought basically farming entities in Ukraine, eventually became AgroGeneration. And I was the CEO of that company for about 11 years as um, we were operating over 110,000 hectares. So when the war started, uh, I left that position several years ago and stayed on the board. But when the war started, I was basically in Lviv and I joined, it's called the Ukrainian Education Platform as a volunteer. 
where we were basically raising money and delivering humanitarian aid. Recently created a foundation called moveukraine.org, which was a result of seeing the needs, the growing needs of the internally displaced persons, of which probably over a million people are without home, without families, without any place to go. We foresaw that refugees would be returning and we started, we started uh, repurposing buildings, existing buildings in Ukraine. And I, I can talk about more later. Okay, thank you. So let's get on topic here, but to kind of set the stage, can we talk a little bit about some of the statistics on the number of displaced persons in Ukraine? We're now in beyond uh, the three-month mark in the war in Ukraine, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And there been, have been a significant number of people who have been displaced from their homes in primarily eastern Ukraine, but also in southern Ukraine. So Slava or John, jump in there. Who among you would like to talk about some of the statistics? As for me, if, if I may. So I know that this statistic is pretty flexible because we know that over than 13 millions of people are displaced right now, but actually there's different waves regarding the timing. So it was the first wave just going through Ukraine to the Western part. Partly they just left Ukraine to Poland, Netherlands and the closest countries. Then it was the wave which is coming back to Ukraine because there is partly we kicked back the Russian forces from the Kyiv region, Kharkiv region, Sum Sumy, and so on and so on. That's how people coming back. So it it's continuing. So we don't have like stats for today. It's every time the new information. But we know well there's how many project can as many we can do the project to set up the living for refugees. It won't be enough. And this, this, that's what I need to know. That's why we, we set for ourselves as a team, as architectural team, the highest priority from the first days of war to solve somehow as much as we can the problem with the refugees, with the temporary displaced people. Yes, and on that point, since there is conscription in Ukraine right now, and I believe any male over the age of 18 up to the age of 60 is it must remain in Ukraine. So you talk about the refugees, aren't they primarily mothers with children? That is correct. Yes. So if, if you allow me, uh, first of all, I, I agree that the statistics are, it's, it, they're, they're changing a lot. I mean, it was an estimate there were 5 million refugees, people that have left the country, and probably 7 or 8 million that are basically displaced internally. Now that statistic is changing and a lot of people, I've been at the Polish border, a lot of people are coming back. As a matter of fact, although I'm based in now Ivano-Frankivsk, I'm in Kiev today, and I can tell you the difference in the population in Kiev since the last time I was in Kiev, which was about four weeks ago, is incredible. The streets are full. So people are coming back, but uh, uh, the need for housing is dire, dire. People that had their homes flattened in Irpin or in Mariupol and all of that, they are dislocated 
and they are looking for places where they can live while the homes are going to be eventually, eventually repaired. That is the real, real dilemma in Ukraine. How do we house these people? How are they going to make money? Because uh, the economy is basically collapsed. Uh, so there's uh, less and less places uh, that are working, you know, where you can make money. And then, of course, uh, the other big need is how are these people going to be fed? So there are many, many different needs. So both of you have, it would seem, different approaches to providing housing for Ukrainian displaced persons. And I guess we also have to talk about temporary housing versus permanent housing at some point. So can each of you explain your own approach and also your geographic focus? Because I think it's, from what I've read, it's also different between the two of you. So Slava, maybe we can start off with you on that. The big idea of the project called Re-Ukraine, it's to remain dignity life, no matter what. And the main theme that we reviewed, like almost over 20 of different projects, which were set up in Europe, across all of the Europe, to set up the refugees campus, through the building norms, through the comfort level, and we develop this statistic. I mean, we develop quantity of the restroom. We add the common spaces where people can hang, where the people can communicate, when people can get a new connection in between their neighbors. Because while you're losing your home, you're losing as well the connection to your friends and family. And this is really important thing. So that's why our theme to build it up this temporary house, and we call this not a temporary, we call this a transit houses. So it can be easily built up beside the heated or bombed city while the government is reconstruction or rebuilding them. So partly group of the families can live there and wait while the government making some blocks or the streets or recovering the living areas. Why? Because we consult so many people. I, I was in Bucha like the first day while it was free uh, from the Russian uh, troops. And we are speaking with so many people. And the only thing that they said, we, want, we don't want to go across the Ukraine for some Western part. We would like to stay beside our own territory, our own friends and neighbors. We want to be participating of reconstruction of our own homes. So that's how we understood that we need to build up this project beside the cities while the government will be rebuilding them. And afterwards, the other thing of the project, it can be easily replaced. So after you will like make several rounds of living like three and a half months, for example, five months afterwards, if, you, if, if the next stage is to replace this villages, southern or eastern you can easily do this you don't don't need to double up the the price for building you can say like 60 65 percent of the construction elements to easily build up there on the next region where it's necessary because the the geographic and the terms of war is moving and it's moving west uh, eastern and it's moving southern 
So that's how the that terms and the timing for building up this project is also a little bit in, a, in some timing period. That's how we came with this idea of transit houses, which can be easily replaced on next region and further and further and further. John, can you explain your approach in geographic focus? Uh, you mentioned that although you have lived in Lviv for a while, that you're currently based in Ivanofodkivsk. So is that where you're focusing at this time? Uh, yeah. So um, the principle for us is um, that uh, we're, we're uh, providing accommodations in what we call safe areas. The fact of the matter is uh, there are towns in, in Western Ukraine like Kaluzh or or Kamenets-Podilsk, or even Ivano-Frankivsk, or Drohobych, where the number of IDPs is, for example, Drohobych, a, a city of 100,000 people, the population is actually 200,000. So IDPs are comprising a very large part of the population. And these are, for the most part, people that really have nowhere to go. There is there's still the war is heated in the east. The homes have been destroyed and they are looking for shelter. And the other problem is that these municipalities where these IDPs are living, they have no resources. They put them in communal spaces like schools and all. As an example, in Kalush, we were there a few days ago, about 150 IDPs in school number 20, where by the end of July, they will have to leave because they're preparing school, the, the, you know, the, the school semester for the for the new school year. So our principle is to provide quick housing for these people, okay? There are plenty of vacated buildings in Western Ukraine. They can be summer camps. They can be dormitories. For example, we're repurposing a hotel, a private hotel under certain conditions for these IDPs. We've done a dormitory for about... 180 IDPs. We are focused on Kamenets Pudisk, but there's a, another very large dormitory for 250 IDPs where we're in the process of signing agreement with the governor and the mayor, this, uh, the, uh, the director of the university. So the principle is there's a quick solution to providing housing, okay? And that is repurposing, which means minor, not even construction, there might be a leaky roof, new plumbing, new electricity. The rooms uh, are painted. We get beds donated. Uh, we work with the Red Cross. We have an architectural company that we work with, which is called Metalab, which is well, quite well known. And they work with international things. Step number two, as part of our campaign, is to go to greenfield sites, heavily populated IDP cities, where there is a prospect for jobs, okay? Where we will be building these, what I call modular home, modular buildings. So there's a two-step process, the quick process, repurposing, which takes anywhere from two weeks to a month. And then there's a longer term process where we know the IDPs will not be going back to let's say Mariupol or Kharkiv for years where they need a place to live social housing. So it's, it's a two-step effort. Well, the key aspects of all of this is financing. 
So how do both of you plan to finance your respective projects? Also, is there any government money involved in this, either Ukrainian or from other governments from other countries? Slava, maybe you could start off on that. From our side, for example, we do have for now like up to 10 different cities which are requested to to, to draw over their selected sites, the, the master plan from their 1,200 till 5,000 uh, citizens. So, uh, and there, each city has a local team of the developers who is more or less involved in this project. So from our side, we are kind of architects and idea holders, and we are supporting them like on consulting or authority control. But the local teams is working with the international funds to rise up the, the funds to build up the, the first stage or like partly like several sections. Or, but there is now yet the government money. So we are working with the government only on the legal stage. So they are accepting, they're proving, they are giving us a possibility to build up, they're given the lands. So, but not yet the investments. So investments, this is the main thing. Uh, the hard thing of this, that, that this problem of displaced people are not on the, it's not on the first of the list, yes, of the problems. And the other thing that Ukrainians are very easily uh, used to live in uh, different conditions. So in the first months of war, it was actually a really big issue of the, it's a problem of refugees. Uh, it was hard to see, to locate or to find some accommodation. Uh, people are moving there. there this huge uh, traffic jams was on the borders and uh, et cetera. But right now it's not the biggest problem, but we are continuing working. Uh, and we know that people don't need to live and don't need to use the worst condition of living. So for example, somebody is living like 10 people in two rooms or something like this. So that's how we continue working. It's hard to find each month or it's hard harder to find some investments, but we are not doing the research for funds. This doing the local developers companies. John, would you care to comment about the topic of financing? Financing is coming in in two different stages. First of all, there is no investment coming to Ukraine. If you talk to the international financial institutes, nobody's ready. Okay, they're all waiting for the war to be over. But the problem remains and it's urgent. So we have a very active donor campaign for moveukraine.org. We were in Davos at the Ukraine House. Uh, my wife spoke, who is a uh, co-founder of Move Ukraine. We were in Geneva speaking with uh, donors and we're going to Washington in, uh, in a couple of weeks where we are going to meet with Congress and we're going to speak with donors as well. So the first drive is a donor drive. Donors are proposed projects, which can vary from 120,000 to you, you know, 1.2 million up to 15 million. Okay, so it, we have many different projects to choose from. So there is this kind of project donor financing. Uh, and that just means, you know, uh, providing the investment money to repurpose these, these buildings. And, uh, and then there's, there's just basically, you know, 
PayPal and, uh, and credit cards, uh, just giving to the foundation. So we have a 501c3 in, uh, in the US um, and we have a Ukrainian uh, charity called Move Ukraine based out of Kiev, which uh, also has ways to transfer money. So I uh, have a director, we have accountants and uh, we have board members. So um, there's, there, there really aren't too many other mechanisms for the large organizations that, that donate small shelters. Uh, you can go with that. Uh, they, they, cost, they cost money. And, but that is, you know, that is sort of uh, a different, that's a different value proposition. Let me put it that way. So, and, and I guess last but not least, we have partner organization, Ukrainian Education Platform, which has been very good about helping with humanitarian assistance like foods for IDPs, uh, medicines for IDPs. Um, they have a volunteer organization called Building Ukraine Together, which provides volunteers. And when we go on site, we actually use volunteers who are many cases IDPs to actually participate in the repurposing of, of the buildings. So it's a, it's a kind of a community effort, which uh, seems to work pretty well. So I'm very curious about whether occupants of this newly created housing will have to pay something for the housing or whether it'll be rented or leased or owned or a combination of some of those. Slava, could you comment on that? This should be decided by the local government plus the owner of the building site. It depends what will be the investment, who will be the owner of the, what will be the finance scheme. So is it will be like, will it be like 100% donation that the people can live there for years or it should be like halfly rented or I don't know for now. As the other guys, as the other donation teams and the other developers team, we are waiting this project to be built up and then this will be the part and next round of questions, how can it be solved? For now, we are on the like negotiation level with the different government, local government, plus highest government level. So I don't have the exact answer, but I know that it will be decided a little bit later stages. John, can you comment? Yeah, certainly. So this is how it looks to us. Anytime you are uh, repurposing a building, which is on the books of a uh, government organization, for example, the Ministry of Education, you really have to clarify who has responsibilities. But the bottom line is IDPs also have certain obligations. Okay, I, I think that IDPs should make best effort for at least to pay for the costs okay, of living there. Our approach is at least utilities need to be covered for those who are able to cover them. You don't want people just living for free for long periods of time. This is how, how can I put it? It's not good for society that poor IDPs are paying nothing and the poor people in the general vicinity are paying something. So everybody needs to make an effort. And for that, we have, you know, you create certain structures to ensure NGO, non-for-profit structures to ensure that there is uh, control over uh, paying of certain costs. Rent is a different story, okay? 
Um, and, and this is something in the, in the discussion, but it would be, I would imagine that paying of rent uh, into a, a government building becomes a little bit more problematic. Paying for costs, uh, yes. Now, there is two stages to all of this. You know, right now we're in a donor stage where no investment uh, agencies are here at all. When the war is over, the IFIs, International Financial Institutes, EBRD, uh, OPIC, which is now DFC, European Investment Bank, and others will come in on the rebuild. And those will be investment models, okay? And, and that's when it becomes uh, more of a kind of a central government responsibility to allocate a certain amount of what I call social housing, which Ukraine has very little of today compared to other European countries. But there is social housing where rent is subsidized, you know, all of this stuff. Uh, but we're not there yet. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we're out of time. But I did want to give you the opportunity to let our audience know where they can find out more about your respective projects. So, Slava, where can our audience do that for your project? Actually, we do have our old information through the, our web, website, baltech.com. So you can find there the Reukraine pilot project, and Reukraine general project as well, and the other Ukraine stages, for example, like monuments and the other ones. So please uh, feel free to go there to, to discover more about this project. John, how about you? We're called MoveUkraine, one word.org. You go on the website, you'll see the projects, you'll see the, uh, you'll see the page uh, that'll take you to, to, the, to the PayPal site, and please contribute. I want to thank both of you for coming on Krenitsa today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting. Thank you very much. I have been speaking with Slava Baldek, who is the founder and CEO of an architecture and interior design studio called Baldek Bureau. And also with John Schmorhun, who is the chairman of a nonprofit by the name of Move Ukraine. And both are involved in creating housing for displaced persons in Ukraine. And I'm Mike Burek, your host and producer of Kreitsia, a podcast series about interesting and notable Ukrainians from around the globe. This episode has been produced for the Ukrainian Weekly a newspaper produced in the U.S. since 1933 for the global Ukrainian community. Until next time, that's all for now.